Good morning. The reading today is um, from our inspirational book of the month, The Little Book of Meaning, and it's by Laura Berman Fortgang. And uh, there's a little quote from within it, and it's from The Healing Wisdom of Africa by Maladoma Patrice Somme, a shaman of the Tagara tribe of West Africa. Transformation. A person's purpose is energetically inscribed in their bones, and its actual translation into work should agree with the message engraved in these bones. The question is, what happens when what we do, when you do not, I'm sorry, what happens when what you do does not align with who you are? It means that you are likely to experience low self-worth, a lack of enthusiasm about who and what you are doing, and above all, a nagging sense of inner emptiness, in short, an identity crisis. Indigenous people recognize that when the individual does not remember, gradually, it is the culture, the society that forgets. And so now I'd like you to help me welcome our own spiritual director, Reverend Patrick Cameron. Good morning. All righty, here we are. So, as we do every week, I'd like to invite you, if you'd like to stand and sing a song with me or stay seated. I'm going to sing and pray whether you stand up or not. I just want you to know. So, Except I'd like York to stand up if you wouldn't mind. <laughs> In this very room there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every Spirit, one spirit is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. And so I invite you to know with me, once again, there is one life. That life is God's life. That life is perfect. Let us claim it as our own in this moment. And that claiming is simply our yes, our willingness, our receptivity. For it is, it is back of who and what we are. It is not something to add unto ourselves. It is something to just simply live from. And so I invite you in this moment to know there's nothing that you have to do or I have to do in this moment. But simply be present to who and what we are. To allow and to listen deeply, to be in the conversation, that soul's conversation. What are we being called to? What is being asked of us? For we, each and every one of us have gifts to share. Each one of us have talents and skills that this world needs or we would not be here. May we continue to be supported in every way, shape, and form, and resourced in every way, shape, and form, so that the, the health and the vitality, the resources and the assistance, the joy and the celebration and the momentum that allows us to continue to give our best wherever we are to strive 
and be the excellence that we are at the core of our being, all that and more. For it is a journey with no end destination. And so I celebrate that and know that each and every one of us is a work in progress, a masterpiece that continues to refine itself in its thinking and way of being. For this I give thanks, knowing that these, this infinite intelligence is finding its way in greater and more wonderful ways by means of each and every one of us, each moment, each step, each breath. For this I give thanks, and together we say, and so it is. Please be seated. Thank you. Thanks for joining me in prayer. It's wonderful to be part of an intentional community that celebrates intentional prayer. Thank you again, Brown, for your support. The music behind all that. Beautiful music today. Today's lesson is entitled Manicures and Life, Life's Lessons. And I thought we would pass out Emory Boards so you could all do your nails while we're talking. But I checked on the price of Emory Boards. It's a little pricey, so I think we'll just pretend. And it's inspired uh, from the little book On Meaning by Laura Berman Fortgang. And so as I was reading this week and looking things over and preparing a sharing, it became really clear to me that, as we all know, what we think, we become. What we dwell upon, we become. And what we believe and accept becomes a part of our being. So what we think we become, what we believe and accept and, d and dwell upon becomes a part of our being. But there's got to be the acceptance. When I was a young boy, my mother used to always say to me, well, watch out who you're hanging out with. Who you're hanging out with. Because she was worried about those guys. I was hanging out David Laurie shaking his head yes with me. Yeah. Did your mom tell you to watch out who you hang out with? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, those guys that put grease in their hair and wear black leather jackets, those those guys, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you were either, when I was a kid, when you were uh, in high school, you were either a greaser or a baldy. Do you remember that? Anybody here a greaser or a baldy? We had greasers and baldies. That's what we, I still don't know. Thanks, Greg. Greg, Greg can almost get his arm up. But she said, you know, be careful. Decide who you want to hang out with. And what I realized in my own life is that I get to each day and each moment decide who I'm going to hang out with with my own interior being. What thoughts am I dwelling upon that I become? Who am I hanging out with? What am I giving my attention to and my, and my energy to? And it's simple. I mean, it's obvious to us. And yet, my mom was right. Who am I hanging out with? So if I'm in fear and lack and limitation, and that's a continual pattern for me, then I end up creating more and more fear, lack, and limitation in my life. It's just the way it works. It has to. Because what we feed into the law which can do no other thing but say yes. And as you get into some of our classwork, you'll discover that. It always says yes. The law always says yes. And we are the ones, we are the thinker behind the thought that creates the thing. Reverend Sue Rubin has been here the last week and we had time to spend with her. And, you know, she's got some of those great old sayings that uh, are so clear. You know, we're the thinker that thinks the thought behind the thing. And so what I know, what I know about this and in looking at this and, and, and uh, contemplating this, I know that excellence is a really important thing. Excellence is something that I can look to each day in my journey and decide, is this excellence or not? Am I showing up the best way I can in alignment with the, the, the truth of who and what I am, wherever I am? As Laura Berman Fortgang talks about in the little book on meaning, for many of us, we fall into the Mother Teresa syndrome. In other words, if we're not doing something that's going to change the world in some big way, we discount it and don't do it. That's not big enough. 
And for me, spiritual practice, as I journey through this and, and, and walk along with it, is this moment is spiritual practice. I drove through the second cup this morning with Laura, and there's a young man there that we see frequently. We know his name. and In fact, when I give him the order, he just says, okay, Patrick, pull forward with your car, because he knows it's the same order every, uh, every time we go through. And so I pulled up, and, and uh, I said, thanks for being here. And he, what? And the girl behind that was fixing, I said, thanks for being here. And, you know, and it was just about thanking him because they're there. They're always friendly. They're always there doing their thing. They're always there. You, can, you, get, a, a, you get a quality product for what you give. And, and it was just the appreciation. I thought, this is spiritual practice. This is the gratitude. Thank you for being here. I love it that you're, you're here. When I come up, when I drive up here, you're here. And I can get what I ask for. And how much of that goes on in our lives. But for me, that is a reflection of spiritual practice, to see the, the divinity there, to see the goodness there, to see the life force that's there. This beautiful person that, you know, because we could all say, well, it's beneath me to serve coffee. Or it's beneath me to do whatever. I mean, it's, you know, we can do that. We have free choice. You know, I'm master of time, space, and dimension. How, how could I possibly prepare coffee? We are master of time, space, and dimension, but we still get to serve coffee. And that's the paradox of spiritual practice. It's the paradox of what we do is that, that if we bring the best of ourselves to each and every situation, and I believe that that requires excellence. So if I'm preparing to have this discussion with you, for me it's always about what is the most meaningful, what am I being guided to here? It's an intellectual as well as an intuitive process. Dr. Holmes had this to say about about our journey that I want to share with you. It's on, of course, it's on the bottom of my pages here. He said, what you are, well, Dr. Holmes quoted Ralph Waldo Emerson. He said, what, what you are speaks so loudly I cannot hear what you're saying. And so how we show up is everything because it's a reflection of consciousness. Shakespeare said this. Remember Bill? I remember Bill from high school. He said, my words fly up, my thoughts remain below. Words without thoughts never to heaven go. Shakespeare was a religious scientist, and we didn't know it. <laughs> words without thoughts never to heaven go. It's consciousness. It's the consciousness upon the words. See, we get together every week. We have this discussion, and I've said this many times privately to people, but I found this this week when I was reading Dr. Holmes. And I said, this is so beautiful. And he shared this in one of his final talks from the, some of the transcripts. He said this, I have always known that it happens between an audience and a speaker. It's one of the first things I ever discovered. It is the consciousness of the audience and the consciousness of the speaker meeting, come together, and then flowing back into each other. See, that's, that's always my experience on Sundays. You guys want to do business with me in the back of the room on a Sunday. I'm not back yet. I got news for you. It takes me a little bit to, for the re-entry. That's why I have people kind of grab my hand and pull me out of the back once in a while because I can be back there and you can go on and on and on. And tomorrow in two hours, I won't remember it. But she said, and then, uh, he said, and then flowing back into each other and adding something greater than either one could have done of themselves or itself. See, but when we live consciously, then we bring that, that beautiful spirit. We bring that beautiful consciousness to wherever we go. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's what we do. And you know it. You recognize it. 
if at the level of consciousness you are and the level of aliveness you are, you either connect with that or you don't. It's just, it's just the way it works. Consciousness precedes experience. And so we have many, many centers that teach the same teaching. And yet they outpicture in different ways. And what I, what I know for what we're doing here as an as a, uh, intentional community, as a prayerful community, our, our mission and our opportunity is always to step up and step into the excellence. So my excitement about what I do, see, I love what I do. I absolutely love what I do. I love people. I just love them. I watch ministers, they come up to me and say, what are you doing in Edmonton? Because, you know, we're not doing so hot. We're struggling financially. We don't have a lot of membership. As a matter of fact, I don't like people. Okay? But I love the teaching. I love what we teach. And I'm such a brilliant teacher. Are you? And I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just, all I can speak from is my experience. And I think that when we step into the service, see, what I, I have to tell you, in, in, you know, everybody's got their own opinion. But my life is God's life. I love what Buckminster Fuller once said. He got to a point in his life where he, he got so depressed, he said, I'm either going to kill myself or I'm going to give my life to something more important. Unfortunately for us, he gave himself to something. He said, I have surrendered my life and my ambition. I know that my life at the end of the day is God's life, and I am in service to spirit. And I know that, and it may not look like that to you at times. But it's interesting. I had a discussion with somebody this week, and, it was, and, and they, they said, uh, see, my, my goal each week is that we provide the most excellent, excellent, excellent sharing and music. Thank you, Erica. Thank you, Robin. That the practitioners come. We go in this room to the side here and we prepare to prepare our consciousness. We go pray. And we set the consciousness for ourselves. That may we be that representative. May we be God's ambassador this day for people here. And it may not even mean that we have interaction with you. But, but the practitioner consciousness that is grounding this community helps support it. And there's a vibration here. That conversation that Dr. Holmes talked about. The flow that we enter into. All of that is grounded in consciousness. Do it with the musicians when they get here. We forget the musicians come and get me and say, we need to go pray. Yeah, we do. But it's that intentional community and it's consciousness. And so for me, you know, I don't know if there's a, a way that we, we bring ministers into our fold. I, I feel like I'm a hybrid. I don't know, you know, my life and the, the experiences and what has brought me to what I do in my life. But I'm, so, I'm very passionate and committed to mining the depths of my own being so that I can bring the excellence to the world. Because that's truly, and see, excellence is something we can all grab onto. Are you being excellent when you drive through the drive-thru, wherever you're driving through? Are you being excellent in whatever you do in the small moments? It, because those small moments, what we don't get, and many times I have forgotten, is that those moments are the moments that change the world. Those, those, share, those, those, those moments of compassion and love and caring, when we can sit together. Laura Fortang talks in her book, The Little Book on Meaning. She talks about her life, and I can completely relate to this. She was an actress in New York City and wanted to be on Broadway, and she went through this whole period of... And I've been there. I lived as an actor and worked as an actor in Los Angeles for a number of years. That was my dream and goal. And so her chapter on it, when you put down that identity, and the reading that uh, was shared this morning, it's around identity, it's a shedding of the identity. And what happens when we shed the identity, there's that void for a while. Because when you're so attached to a certain idea of how it's got to look and what your life's going to have meaning if it looks a certain way, 
based on exterior success, and then all of a sudden that shifts and change, you're in the void. And for me, I knew that that wasn't it anymore. I got to a point in my life I'd had some success with it. And I realized that, now I realize my soul's agreement with that and, the, and what I needed to extract from that, I'd completed. I completed that, that chapter in my life. But the uncomfortable part was I didn't know what the next chapter was. But I had used these principles effectively in my life to help bring things that I longed for into my experience. And so I know this teaching works. If you work this teaching, if you give yourself to it, you get results. Just like anything else, if we give our thoughts and beliefs to something, we get results. Who are you hanging out with in your mind? Because the ideas that limit or restrict that flow of life, whatever it may be, and I'm not telling you, and this is not said from, from criticism. This is said from observation, and I've done the same thing. All of a sudden, is this the most interesting idea I can come up with? Is this the most loving uh, posture I can sit in for myself and for others? Someone came up to me the other day. It was wonderful. And they said, I talked about it at that. We had, a, we had Reverend Tim Peterson and Reverend Sue Rubin and myself here, Dr. Sue Rubin, myself here on Wednesday night. We had a question and answer. And I talked about this love. It's a love story. And someone came up to me and says, how do you know if you really love yourself? I don't know. How would I know what that is for you? You know, you would know. But you know in your heart. See, but I think, once again, it was this idea it's a final destination. I think it's a work in progress. Can you love yourself a little more today? Can you forgive yourself a little bit for where you failed, where you didn't show up and share your excellence? That's part of spiritual practice. Yeah, I said I was going to do this, and I couldn't do it. Hmm. That's always disappointing, not living up to the standards that you've set for yourself. And yet to dwell on it, to not forgive oneself, say, you know what? I use that as fuel to do better next time. I use that as fuel to do better next time. That's the one thing we can do with those experiences where we have fallen short. But if you show up in excellence wherever you go, I'm bringing the best of myself today, and sometimes we're at 50%. So you give the 50% you have. You say, you know what, that's the best I could do today, and that's enough. But, but we're, we've been talking about classes, really pushing the class. The classes is where we get into community. The classes are, are we, where we connect with people, and there's something, the same energetic happens in classes that happens here. And sometimes that's a wonderful conversation for people to have, and sometimes you're not ready to have that conversation. Or you need to simply incorporate and embody some of the, the learning you've had. That's why we don't force anybody to say, you know, if you, do, if you do foundations, you've got to go right to the next class. Some people will do that. Some people say, I need to wait a little bit. It's a journey, and it's organic, and you, and you need to embody the consciousness. So Dr. Holmes had this to say, and I love this, because we've been talking about classes. He says, we do not teach how to influence people. We don't teach that. We're not about manipulating the world. We're not about manipulating others. We don't teach people how to influence people, how to get rich. We do not teach you how to get rich. This is not what this is about. We encourage people to live an abundant life, abundance in every area. The teacher Jesus said that, I have come so that you may know life and know it more abundantly. But that's so many qualities. That's just not financial. He said, how to, uh, he said we do not teach people how to have one of those dominating personalities. Are you working on a dominating personality? Why would you want to dominate someone? I got my hands full just making my own decisions, let alone somebody else's. There are lots of people who actually believe that there is something, someone who can teach them. I'll read it again. There are lots of people who actually believe that there is someone who can teach them, and there's no such thing. Every person 
is an institution in their own right. And every institution is the length and shadow of somebody's thought. It's your thought. Emerson said every person is already equipped with everything that they need to be or they wouldn't be here. You have everything you need. And I believe this. I know this is true. I said to someone the other day, I was just struggling. Something was going on that I just couldn't make right in my thinking. And I just said, you know, I guess at the end of the day for me, I just, I love what we teach. I love this teaching. And, I, and this teaching has given me myself. And it, and, and it continues to give my, myself. And they said to me, you know, because I said what I believe is to bring, we have such a, a wonderful thing to share with the world and to live in our lives. I can't give you a quick fix. I can't tell you come and take classes for eight weeks and your life will be transformed. We don't do that. I can't give you a 16-week lesson. The nine points of success for your life. And all those things are good. Those are tools. And if there's a piece there you can use, do that stuff. I'm not saying don't do that. But for me, it's really about showing up in the world as proud and as bright and as clear and as excellent as we can. And I'm committed to that. And I said, when I see it unfolding in certain situations, because I'm proud of our organization. I'm proud of what we teach. And when I see it in a way that I don't think represents that, it breaks my heart. And this person said to me, you know what? You do that. You do that. And I realized, you know what? You're right. I can only do that in my own life. So put the rest of it down. And why spin in it? Celebrate it for what it is and put it down. Because I can't change that. I can't change anybody else's consciousness. I can't teach anybody anything. I can only continue to do my own work. And you too. Which is really a sweet thing because at the end of it, it takes all the pressure off. I get to go home and go... <laughs> What's your problem, buddy? Because that's that spiritual arrogance that I have somebody's answer or it should look a certain way when it's all God and it's all good. And so part of the spiritual practice is what's mine and what's somebody else's and when can I put it down? What's mine to pick up and help? How can I help here? How can I see the divinity behind that individual so that that it's, it's all good and make peace with it? Dr. Holmes said, somewhere at the center of your being, should we properly use it? Because what we teach is a perennial truth, and it's taught, 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 taught in many places. And we don't claim to be the only place to, to stop and have this. We're, we, hopefully, we're an oasis. You come in, you're a little thirsty, you get a drink. You go back on, and you can carry it on in your journey. We might not be the final destination for a lot of people, but we're a, a way along the way that helps bring some clarity, perhaps, into their lives. And for me, it is, it's become, it is my, it's my resting place. And yet I'm out all, all the time looking for the teachers, things to stretch me. And I love that. It keeps me alive. It keeps me fresh. Because I know for myself, I am not a finished product. There's more to know. There's more to do. There's more service that we're being called to do. It's why we're bringing Michael Beckwith to Edmonton. You know, we've spent a lot of energy last week. I got some feedback. Too many commercials. Too much about classes. Too much about Michael Beckwith. And it's always a balancing act because you're here to have this conversation. And all I can tell you is that I'm excited about this because I think the world needs our message. And the better we live it and demonstrate it, we are the message. Gandhi said it. You must be the change you wish to see in the world. And so Laura Forktang was talking about her journey as an actress and she realized it was dying for her. And that identity that she had, had claimed as an actress 
He said in her book, she says, to shed an entire identity forces us to live in limbo for a time. There is great mystery in that. There is no knowing where you are headed. There is no promise that something better or even good awaits. It's like being pulled through a tunnel in the dark and feeling the seconds as hour and hours as you wait for the end of the ride. When you get out, back in the light, we're blinded by the vastness, but slowly our eyes will adjust and life will come into focus and something new will appear. That's the journey. That's the journey. Laura and I were talking this week, and she said, you know, when we came here, when we came to Edmonton, we came seven years ago, we never once discussed an exit strategy. We never once said, you know, we're going to give this five years and we're out of here. We'll give this, we, we, we're in. We left everything. We left friends, we left family, we sold our home. We came here, I lived in the basement for six months, and I'm not saying it because I, I didn't do that to impress anyone, it just worked. Because I said, you know what, I'm here to do this thing, and I'm here to let this, this teaching grow me. And so I immersed myself in the teaching, I taught great students. We went to an, uh, a function the other night, we went to a, uh, a function of ordination, and our staff ministers were there, and they got up and they spoke, so they, they, they fulfilled their agreement in a wonderful, beautiful way. Wonderful, wonderful way. I'm so proud and so proud and, and grateful for the people that I've had an opportunity to learn and to teach and to be with, even though I don't teach them anything. But it is the revelation of what's already there, and that's where it's different. And we call it forth because we continue to have the discussion. So it's somewhere at the core of our being is that identity. And so Laura Fortang was going through this dark night of the soul, this journey of transition, putting down the identity, letting that identity die. And she, she took on a volunteer position. She was 25 years old and, and was delivering food to senior citizens. And she went to an apartment one day in New York City, knocked on the door, and this voice, she heard this voice said, just come in and put it on the table. And so she walked in and she put the food on the table, and she just felt like she needed to have more interaction with this person who was buried under some covers in the corner in a bed. And so she found out the woman's name was Olive, and she stood there for a bit, and she said, you know, Olive, and she, she doesn't know where it came from. She said, would you like a manicure? And Olive kind of all of a sudden lifted her head up and looked over the blankets and said, hmm. And so she said, do you have an emery board, and do you have a nail file? And, some, and, she's, and so they got together, and they started doing these manicures. So every time that Laura would show up, she'd do a manicure with Olive. And Olive showed, uh, shared with Laura who was the actress that was, you know, just so intent on rich, famous, that whole idea of how we measure success. And Olive shared with her how she regretted never having children, never marrying, the sadness and the aloneness in her life. And so they started to make this connection. And everything that Laura Berman Fortang needed to hear, Olive brought. Olive became her teacher. And she'd hold her hand, and Olive would tell her the stories, and her stories of regret and sadness and sorrow. And she started to crack Laura open. She said, Olive changed my life. She didn't even know it. Here's this elderly woman that I would hold her hand and do her nails for every couple of weeks. So she went. She had been off doing an acting job for a couple of weeks. She went back to Olive's apartment, and there was no one there. And she found the building manager and found out that she'd been transported to a hospital. And so she rushed down. There was a panic that came over, and she rushed down there, hoping that Olive had not passed away, because she was quite elderly and quite fragile. And she got there, and uh, Olive was strapped to a gurney, and she was screaming, just screaming incoherently. She was so angry and out of her head. She said, I couldn't even understand what Olive was saying. 
He said, I'm 25 years old. I have no training. I don't know what I'm doing. And I'll go in the room. And I take her hand. And I just say, Olive, it's okay. It's okay. And she said she just kept saying that and holding her hand. And slowly, Olive calmed down. And when Olive had finally calmed down enough, she said, you know, Olive, if you need to go, if you need to go, you can go. A lot of times people in that situation need somebody's permission. It's going to be okay. And it's okay to go. And she said she was hoping in her heart, being 25 years old and having never done this before, that she didn't go in that moment. But she said shortly thereafter, Olive made her transition. But it changed her life. She let love into her life. See, love wants to get into our lives. And we put up all these walls and expectations, and we, we can become very rigid with it. And yet love wants to get into our lives. You know, when I talk, you know, for me, the reason that, that, that I, I love what we, I do is I love people. I really love people. There's an, I've never met somebody that I didn't actually truly like and, and for the most part love. For me, the journey of ministry has been I also have reached a point in my life where I'm much, much better. I'm not saying I haven't mastered. I don't care what you think about me. I really don't. And part of my learning has been, as I've, and the reason I can measure that in my life is when I used to really care, really wanted to please everybody, people would come through the line and always give me their opinions over and over and over again of how I could be better, how you could improve. Talking too much, not talking about all the stuff that goes on. But as I've made peace with it, there's less and less of that in my life. Isn't it interesting the things that we really don't want to see show up in our life show up in our lives? Because we don't get what we want, but we get what we expect. I know that's confusing for folks, but expectation represents belief. So you can want and want and want, but wanting keeps it out there so we keep trying to grab it. But when you know, this is my experience. There are great people that love me and support me, and I can love and support them back that are in my life. I know that. So when we came here, Laura and I, we never had an exit strategy. Our, our boys have come here and have excelled in, in education. We have had, made wonderful friends in this community. We went golfing yesterday. We went and did our golf tournament. It was great. It was so much fun. It was just great, and everybody's keeping score and keeping track, and we're out there, and you know, everybody comes into the clubhouse, and we had this really nice lunch afterwards. Beautiful golf course. The day was beautiful, and people are talking about how they did and how they did, because we're so geared towards the competition. But we had no prize. We didn't even talk about scores. People were like, well, my group was 17 under par. Fantastic. Good for you. And? And fantastic. Good for you. <laughs> you know why I know golf is not a skill? Because I can never duplicate the same shot twice. <laughs> a skill, you can duplicate things twice. I had shots yesterday that were going in a certain direction that went completely in another direction. And I said, this is fascinating. I was aiming over there, and the ball ended up over there. Golf's not a skill. It's a wonderful activity. Skills you can duplicate. I'm still waiting for my first hole-in-one. I, I saw some guy talking this week. He said, bowling. I hate bowling. I interview on TV, and I'm thinking, why do you hate bowling? He said, why play a game where there's a limit on how many points you can get? I cap it at 300. I thought, wow, talk about competition. <laughs> Let's just keep bowling frame after frame. We'll get to 1,000, 10,000, like Donkey Kong or something like that. I but Laura's life was, was changed by Olive. I was in university. I was probably in, uh, oh, my 
grade 11. Yeah, it was grade 11. And I, I moved into an apartment, my first apartment, 85 bucks a week. That was big money back then. It was big money for me. It's still big money for me, as a matter of fact. I'm now paying 95 a month right now. Anyway, yeah. So I move into university, and I move into this eight plexes, eight units, and they're all ladies of, oh, I'd say they were from anywhere from the age of 80 on up. And I move in, and the first thing I do is I get three of my buddies, and we move in an upright piano. I bought this upright piano for 100 bucks because I wanted to learn how to play the piano when I was close to school. Those three friends had so much friend, fun moving the piano with me that they didn't talk to me for three years afterwards. So, Anyway, we got the piano in there, and the ladies were very upset I moved in. They did not like me immediately. They didn't know me, but they hated me. Now, that's my impression because... I could just tell. They were not happy I was there because I represented this young guy and I was going to be partying down there and causing all kinds of commotion. And I just wanted to be there. I just wanted my apartment. And I wanted to be close to school and I was getting out on my own and it was really good for me. I had a bed on the floor of the upright piano and I got a piece of plywood that I cut into several shapes and they became my end tables, night table, and kitchen table. It's amazing what you can do with cinder blocks and uh, plywood. And so... I'm living there for a while, and they're not talking to me. And every time I meet them in the hall, they look the other way, and I, you know, you know, don't touch me, don't get near me, that kind of, not, didn't say that, but that was their body language. And I just felt bad. I thought, you know, okay. I wasn't there to, you know, to create problems. So one night I'm, uh, I'm studying in my room, and I hear this commotion out in the hallway, and I run out, and here's these two guys carrying this 350-pound air conditioner, window air conditioner, up the steps. And I look... And I can tell they've got no business taking this thing up the steps. It's not like they're helping somebody move. And so I say, hey. So they drop the air conditioner. It rolls down the steps towards me. And I get on my horse and start chasing them down the alley. And so I'm running after these guys. And as I get out in the alley, there's a car with a motor running. And the doors are open. And these two guys run by the car. And as they go by, they both grab the door like simultaneously, like they had choreographed it, and shut the doors. And the car's still running. So I... I run another 50 feet or so, and they're gone. And I'm thinking, this is... I look, and the car's sitting there. So I go back, I get in the car, and I back it up, and I park it, and I take the keys inside, and I call the police. And so the cops show up, and sure enough, here comes this kid walking down the alley about a half hour later. I said to the officer, I said, that's one of the guys. And so, so he walks up to the policeman, and he says, I'm looking for my mom's car. It, it, I left it around here somewhere. So they, of course... You know, wrote a report. I don't know if they took him to the police station or not, but they probably did. So the next day, I come home from school. And as I, I'm in my room for, I don't know, five minutes, I knock at the door. And here's this 95-year-old woman with a pineapple upside-down cake. <laughs> they loved me. <laughs> I had pastries every day that I started to have to give away. I was going to become a diabetic if they kept the pace up. They were baking for me. And I got to know them all. But I thought, isn't it interesting how we show up in the world? And, and for me, it was really, you know, my, I guess the prayer I had at the time was I just wanted to know who I was. I wasn't there to take anything away from their lives. I was there to, I wanted to, to just be a good tenant, and I wanted to enjoy my freedom. I wasn't, never had a party there, had very few friends come over. It was just a place where, I mean, it was the size of a broom closet. You don't want a party there anyway. But uh, isn't it interesting how the universe will show up and, and create the opportunities for us to be, be in meaningful interaction? 
And so that the goodness that lives behind all of us has a chance to show up. See, we're all looking for that opportunity to share love and to be in love. And I wanted to let them know that I cared deeply about them even though I didn't know them. And they wanted an opportunity to share that love as well. And it's those small things. It's those moments where life and things change. I never forgot that. How I went from villain to hero in the blink of an eye. And it was all the result of intention, of what I believed about myself and knowing to be true. I guess I could have gone over there and stole all their stuff. But it wasn't part of who and what I am and ever have been. So as we move along on this journey, I think that excellence is really a wonderful place to stand, to be excellent in each moment, to, and to know that our teachers, when we're ready to make the change, when we're ready for the information and the experience, it shows up for us. That's, about, that's what consciousness is. That's about being awake. The teachers, the right teachers show up, the right opportunities. And so if we believe that for ourselves, we start to extract that and have that experience in our lives. It's the way the teaching works. It's so simple. It's so profound, and yet we forget sometimes. Oh, that's not a big enough idea. You know, I can be kind at the grocery store, but that's not a big enough idea. You know, I need to be, I need to be you know, speaking to the United Nations, or I need to be doing this or this or this. But if we can't be kind at the grocery store, probably the chances are we're probably never going to have the chance to speak at the United Nations, if you know what I mean. It's the consciousness. It really is the consciousness. And it's such a sweet journey. And it's not without its sorrow because there are many deaths along the way. But I know that, that, that you have great love to give. You have a great... You have a longing that you're called to, as do I. Dr. Holmes talks about it in this, this talk of his I was, was reading, preparing. He talked about that love that is seeking expression. When we enter into this conversation, yeah, there's words. I show up, and hopefully some of this makes sense to you. I asked Laura how I did after the first talk. She said, just clear it up a little bit. Clean it up a little bit. Love her. I'm telling you. Four foot ten, huge consciousness, I'm telling you. I just adore that woman. Because she pulls no punches. That was Diane starting that, honey. That was Diane. But she's a great partner for me. And she challenges me and she stretches me. And I love that. But if I wasn't ready for that, I couldn't be in a relationship with her. I, know, I need somebody that agrees with me all the time. No, 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 no. But if you haven't done the work, if you haven't had enough spiritual practice, you can't hear that because our teachers are always showing up. And sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's good to know that. And sometimes it doesn't have anything to do here. It doesn't have anything to do with what's going on. But it's, that's the discernment. And I wish I was quicker with that. I wish I could figure that out quicker. I wish I knew instantaneously. But for me, I've got to go home and chew on it for a while because that's what guys do. We need a bone that we can chew on. We go back in the cave and we... And we crack it with a rock, and we suck the marrow out of it. And yeah, I think I got it. So we're on this journey together. What we believe, what we think we become, and what we believe and accept becomes a part of our being. And that's the truth of our being. So who are you hanging out with? So this week, can you and can I find a place where we can share our excellence? You can share excellence anywhere. Can you be excellent exiting today? Just being excellent. Kind of, we don't think about that, do we? I've got to get out of here. Man, this guy's going on forever. That kind of thing. But can we be excellent exiting today? Can we be excellent on the road with one another? 
It's so funny. We, we, I told you my car journey, Laura and I, was not part of our plan to buy a vehicle, and our son made sure we did. And we said, we'll do any color except black. So guess which color we got? <laughs> We're still laughing about that one. Never going to get another black car. Too hard to keep clean. Driving a black car again. Well, all they had was black. So they said, well, I guess we'll take black then. Anyway, it is our opportunity this week to move forward in that excellence. It's, it's always your opportunity. And to know that whatever we need behind each and every one of us lives that source of life, that power and that potential. And that's the purpose of spiritual practice. That's the purpose of study and meaningful inquiry. And the opportunity, this life is a beautiful life. This life is a beautiful life. And where can you go and, uh, you know, for me, I, I just, I love our teaching. I love my teachers. And it's, it's, it's endless in both directions. And it's our opportunity, wherever we are, to know that we can move into greater and greater freedom. It's a teaching that is about freedom. And the freedom for me is in the heart. The freedom for me is in my own being. To be in the world, but not of the world. When all I got is black and you said you'll never know another black one, probably time to make a new, renegotiate with yourself, you know what I mean. Black sounds like a good idea. So this week, let's do that. Let's find a place. Let's find one area where we can share our excellence. Because if we can do it in one area, we can do it in every area. So I bless you. I honor you. I see you for who and what you are. I see the power, the grace, the glory, the elegance, and the excellence that is seeking expression. And I just know that it is having an opportunity this week, this day, this moment for its expression. And so it is.